Okay, you have started. Welcome, Professor. Welcome, Professor Howard, from all the way in California. And uh, it's a great pleasure to meet you after, I think, almost a decade. We are at least meeting through Zoom. <laughs> we were at a conference together long, long back, I think, right, in, uh, in Los Angeles. And of course, we kept in touch through emails and all. But welcome to Flame University's series on India Studies webinars. This is the eighth session. And uh, today we are uh, really lucky to have you on the occasion of eve of India's, I think it's 75th Republic Day uh, of India. And uh, it's so, such a great occasion and to have a scholar to discuss Gandhian ideas we need so badly, I think so urgently. We need Gandhi back in our world, I think. So I think more for more on all this, I invite Professor Harvard. Welcome, Professor Vina Harvard. All yours, floor is yours. Uh, thank you so much, Professor um, Pankajan. Yes, it's so wonderful to see you after such a long time. And um, greetings to all of you from Fresno, California right now. Here it is 8.31 p.m. Uh, so good morning to you all. And um, But we are here ready for wrapping up the day. So I'm happy to be here. And um, seems like this is a kind of a webinar style, so I won't be able to see you, but I'm sure... Professor Pankaj will ask you to put your questions in the um, chat uh, so that we can have a discussion as well. So as uh, Professor Pankaj mentioned, my name is uh, Dr. Veena Howard. I teach at Fresno State University in California, uh, and I'm a professor of Asian religious traditions and a scholar of Gandhi. So it's such a, like you said, on the eve of 26th, January, this is the time to really rethink about the lessons of Mahatma Gandhi and what he has offered to us. What I have found as I have studied Gandhi for last almost two decades, that more I learn about him, more I study him, the more I feel intrigued by his visionary leadership, his vision, his farsightedness, and of course, the, some of the ideas might be, um, some would call outdated or not relevant for today's time, but Gandhi would say, well, you need to experiment with them and um, think anew. So in today's um, uh, presentation, uh, I'll get to the questions after uh, my presentation. Thank you for uh, asking that question. Uh, so in this presentation, I'll analyze various aspects of Mohandaske Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi's philosophy of Sarvodaya, which he articulated through his constructive program. Gandhi, who never accepted the title of philosopher in the Western sense of the term, nor held any official political position. He presents us with a social philosophy for a decolonized democratic society. So I think we have to pay attention to here, not just a demo democratic society, but are we truly free? Are we, have we gotten rid of ourselves from all kinds of colonial tendencies? He communicated his vision of Sarvodaya, uplift of all through the 18 steps of his constructive program. The sadly, what I see in the scholarship 
lot of scholars have talked about Satyagraha, Ahimsa, and uh, other Suraj, but they have not really gotten into his constructed program and Sarvodaya. Uh, especially in today's world, right? With the, there's a pandemic is raging all over the world and we have so many kinds of unrest. Um, in this paper, I will analyze the historical evolution and various components of the constructive program, including religious unity, interreligious harmony, right? Removal of untouchability. Think about in what ways untouchability shows up, even in the Western worlds. Not it's not a Hindu problem, not it's an Indian problem. It is a world problem. Economic equality, adult education. He was talking about adult education in 1940s and before. And um, also taking care of health and hygiene. All of these reveal that taxonomy and components of his program offer a path to decolonize all aspects of our life and build a just, equitable, and democratic society, ensuring complete freedom to all citizens, uh, citizens, complete freedom and dignity of life. So what I'm going to do in this short presentation, I will share some slides with you. Bear with me. I have prepared this show for you. All right. I hope you all can see it. Yes, all good. Yes. Awesome. All right. So here we begin um, Gandhi's philosophy of Sarvodaya, uh, moral methods and critical challenges. So Gandhi offers us moral methods, but as we know, we, we are having trouble in this very complex world to following those moral methods. So I start with Gandhi the Mahatma, and the term Mahatma literally means great soul. Great soul is not a, the way I see it, the way Gandhi sees it, it's not a religious title. It is the one who serves others, is the one who dedicated to the service of others is great soul. So I would like to you to keep the definition in mind as we move forward. The great soul is the one who dedicates herself for himself in the service of others. This is the one image that I wanted to share with you. I wish I could see your faces. Um, this was sent by one of our students. And here is Gandhi, it's like a Star Wars Gandhi and twinkle in his eye and force of, I call it, force has awakened, force awakens, right? That Star Wars film. And it is, the, it is called the force of nonviolence. It's called love force, it's called truth force, right? What Gandhi's giving it is, is much superior than any weapons. And we know so much weaponry our developed countries or our own country has. But the idea of soul force, love force, the force of nonviolence, nonviolent direct action, this is the real force. And what Einstein himself said, that this force can save the humanity. The other kind of forces we know we can go brink of destruction very quickly if we use 
the other forces, uh, material forces. Gandhi Beyond's slogans. So uh, again, I always start my classes or students or lectures with some kind of fun and some kind of slides that are uh, lighten our minds. So Gandhi says peace, as you see in some of the uh, t-shirts and Gandhi says relax. Gandhi will never say you should relax, right? Gandhi's always working. Gandhi's always dedicated to helping others. But relaxing, it was, I don't think that was in his vocabulary. So what Gandhi has become is sort of a um, symbol of peace and relaxation, chill. And I have so much, I have a whole PowerPoint on uh, t-shirts and bumper stickers on Gandhi um, some other day, right? And so, but we have to think Gandhi beyond these slogans because they don't do justice to what Gandhi really is teaching and Gandhi was really practicing. So Gandhi has four interconnected principles for equality, freedom, and dignity of life. So let's pay attention to those three. Equality, freedom, and also never forget the dignity of all life. All people has a right to live a dignified life. So these are the four um, S's, I call it, uh, Gandhi's principles, practices, inventions, or discoveries. Uh, first one is Satyagraha. Most people know about it, truth, force, firmness, and truth. It includes Ahimsa. It is standing up against the powers, the structure of injustice, violence, racism, with the force of love, with the force of truth, with the force of nonviolence. Swaraj for Gandhi was self-rule. So self-rule, two meanings. The first was a self-rule that India should become independent. And the second was, the self-rule was, are we in our personal lives feel independent? And if I was in my classroom, I'll ask my students about um, that point. Are we free? Do, you, do we think that I am I have a full command of my life. Third one is Swadeshi. Swadeshi is the use of local products, products of one region, not only just products using local or indigenous languages, indigenous food, indigenous, uh, the way of growing um, food, indigenous um, cottage industries, art system, knowledge system, not just the uh, using the products that are grown near our region. So here it was, Gandhi really wanted, you know, we call about decentralization, we talk about the problems of capitalism and globalization. Gandhi has had a, this solution that you really is healthy, it is helpful to really focus on, on your own region. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't be learning for others, but you have to still really um, not to be in a way that our food is coming from a different world, Chile, the bananas are coming from Mexico. And once this system breaks, then it is difficult. And also now we know our bodies really like the use of local products and we support local economies. And the lastly, the one was Sagodia, which is the uplift of all. 
Gandhi began talking about it in early, uh, around 1905, 1906, 1907, but he really develops um, as his ideas evolve over time. How does this idea come to his mind? So very interesting, talk about learning from others. Gandhi reads this little book was given by his friend is called um, Unto This Last, this, uh, uh, Ruskin's Unto This Last, which was a source of Gandhi's philosophy of Sarvodaya. Gandhi received a copy of Ruskin's book in 1904 while he was in South Africa. Um, Gandhi advances the concept of Sarvodaya, which was based on three principles that the good of the individual is contained in the good of all. Let's pay attention to it. The good of the individual is contained in the good of all. So if the, everyone is happy, I am happy. And now you can hear that if I, everyone is doing good, we all are doing good, right? Uh, the second is very difficult for people to digest that that a lawyer's work has the same value as the barber's in as much as all have the same right of earning the livelihood from their work. I would like all of you to think about this Gandhi's idea that a lawyer's work has the same value as the barber's work and they all have the same, same right of earning the livelihood from their work. Is it even possible in today's world? So make a note of that. That a life of a labor, i.e. the life of the tiller of the soil and the handicraft man is life worth living. So it is not that, oh, they're doing menial labor and they are, what are you going to be? Are you going to be just a laborer or are you going to be in advance in our career as the, our culture has set us up? And what he's saying that, that work is valuable. We cannot eat lawyer's work. We can only eat the what's food tilled in the soil, right? We, we can't have, a professor can't feed you, doctor can't feed you, shopkeeper can sell goods, but somebody has to work in the soil. So it's very interesting that how he is thinking about the dignity of work and, and right to earn respectable living for all. So what he does, he, um, in his preface to Sarvodaya, he translates the book under um, this book under Sarvodaya and you know, paraphrases it, but he changes, it looks for changing the paradigm. What he says, people in the West generally hold that it is a man's duty to promote the happiness, prosperity, that is of the greatest number. Happiness is taken to mean material happiness, exclusively that is economic prosperity. If in the pursuit of this happiness, moral laws are violated, it does not matter much. If I can get a bunch of stuff and in the process, I have to take some shady um, routes, it's okay. And then he says, again, as the object is the happiness of the greatest number, people in the West do not believe it to be wrong if it is secured at the cost of the minority, right? 
And now we talk about, you know, Occupy Wall Street uh, movements. And, you know, even today's world, there are a lot of conversations that are going on. Um, how much is enough? The consequences of this attitude are in evidence in all Western countries. So he's really is taking on the modern civilization and what's going on, why we are running after material things on the expense of the minorities and the most of the, the world, um, rest of the people. Quite interesting um, that even yesterday's uh, 60 Minute, there was a show, um, as some of you might know, and um, the Walt Disney's, I think, granddaughter um, who owns the Walt Disney, um, a Disney World, a Disneyland, and he said, hey, what I'm going to do with these billions? Why are we making that much kind of money? Why can't we give it to others or we can have other ways of, why can't we just put a cap on how much is enough? So it was quite interesting to see the conversations that are currently going on. So Gandhi creates this, um, the idea of constructive program. Uh, and the first one is economic qualities connected to restoring human dignity. We all understand what that means, right? The upliftment of the entire person through societal tr transformation. The society has to be transformed as well. So Vinoba Bhave, some of you know that name, he was Gandhi's um, disciple, follower, very good student, associate. And he uh, tries to use Sarvodaya in the land gift movement. I'll, I'll just give a snapshot of that for you. So at 1922, uh, Gandhi um, begins really thinking about the constructive program, uh, the vision of upliftment of all based in or on nonviolence. So here's some of the aspects of his constructive program. Think about the relevance for today's world. First one is communal harmony. Um, communal harmony is, so uh, any questions? I'll take it right after our presentation. Okay, hold on to your uh, questions and comments and we'll, we'll discuss that, okay? Uh, Communal harmony is the, uh, again, interreligious harmony that we are, think about the modern day problems, how many are arising from the religious, um, and religious just not trusting others. Uh, the people are different religions and having kind of not very friendly feelings about them. Khadi, which is spinning, uh, which people sometimes, oh, Khadi, what are we going to do, Khadi? Khadi really represented that um, physical labor and also use cottage industry. Not necessarily, he wanted people to do something and feel good about. And now if you buy a cotton um, clothes, they're so expensive because we say hand spun clothes because it's very hard to do for people. Machine is much easier. Village industries, he wanted to really focus on village. And the prohibition didn't believe in um, that people should stay away from any uh, alcohol and other drug substances. Removal of untouchability, that was really high on his list. Village sanitation. As we all know, 
now, even with COVID and how important the sanitation is, not only the village, but all over uh, our cities as well. Equality of women. He was talking about equality of women when the women, even uh, the United States and the Western world were fighting for their right to vote. Adult education, of course, all of these things are filled with complexities. All of these ideas are being um, questioned by some of his associates, Rabindranath Tagore took him on his Khadi idea. So, you know, so what do you think we should just spin? You know, we should do something better with our time. So there are um, issues, but I would like you to think about this roadmap or these ideas and transfer them to think about in today's issues and how can they can be resolved. Pride in national language, that was other uh, important thing that, and we should not get rid of our languages. We should not just speak um, English, but we should speak our regional languages. Now more and more linguists are doing studies that we think through our languages, the way the, our regional languages that our knowledge, they represent knowledge systems. There are words in my language that will not be in your language the way I can communicate. So national language is your identity, is your way of being, is your knowledge system. So we, sh we should, of course, we can learn English or other languages, but not get rid of our own national language or own, own regional language also. Health and hygiene, they were two very important things for Gandhi. So I'm just going to go over a few of them because we don't have, um, uh, Pankaj, uh, Professor Pankaj, how long we ha I have uh, to speak and then how much for questions? Uh, you can uh, go on for 45 minutes and then maybe 15, 20 minutes question answer. Okay, we can do 35, 40 minutes. Yeah. Right? yeah. Then we can ask questions. Yes, yes. sure. So removal of untouchability, as we all know that how it um, was, this was so important to Gandhi. Um, what he says, if we believe in nonviolence and truth, we should make no discrimination between high and low and should have no false sense of superiority, we should regard the whole world as a family and live like members of one family. I think the, the way, again, I use the moral method. So he's not talking about policymaking. He's, of course, the policies are important too, but he really is um, invoking or appealing to a moral sense and saying that we should not discriminate against anyone. And this is against uh, nonviolence and truth. So if you look at this definition, he says that 1947, it can apply to all over the world people because in every culture, every country, every society, there is distinction between high and low. So I think what he's calling out here is to really eradicate this sense of hierarchy that we have on the basis of our work, the basis of our occupation, the basis of our gender. So this is uh, what he's calling it, that whole world as a family live like members of one family. Equal treatment of women. And again, this is all from his, toward the end of his life. He's really thinking about constructive program. He said, the Suraj will not last the way I have imagined unless we do these, uh, follow these elements. 
Men and women will attain equality only when the birth of a girl is celebrated with as much joy as in the case of a boy. Very interesting. I also grew up in India. I also grew up in the, I've seen so many places. Do we celebrate the girl of in the same way as we do the boy? Every worker therefore should respect women as his mother, sister or daughter. The way we are dishonoring them shows the extent of meanness and bestiality. Think there is no redemption from this sin. So it's quite, quite, he is really coming out with a lot of intensity to call on people for gender equality. And he uh, worked his life for gender equality, but now he becomes really, really strong in his words. Spinning Khadi um, toward the practice of simplicity and self-sufficiency. Then in 1947, again, he said, the faith is being strengthened every day that no one need buy an inch of cloth if everyone plies the charkha daily just for half an hour. So he thinks we don't need to do all this, you know, industries to support them. We can have our own cloth. And um, now, not only that, this is the key to the preservation of Suraj. If crores of people devoted half an hour to spinning, its, its result would amaze the whole world. So we won't be watching as much TV. We won't be wasting our time. We'll be spinning. There's no alternative to Khadi for bettering the lot of famishing millions. So he's really empowering people to do something rather than feeling idle to do, uh, put your bodies to work. And he saw that spinning as the, the way to go about. He says a number of industries have developed in the wake of Khadi, which provide livelihood to artisans like carpenters, blacksmith, peasants, weavers, and so on. So he is not just thinking about personally spinning Khadi. He's looking at the bigger picture of cottage industries. And he's saying that we, we support one another. If you take one, then we take others. So we need to support other industries as well. Communal harmony, a uh, condition for societal flourishing. We know when religions fight, religious people have distrust, what happens? We all know that. So here he said there, there are innumerable communities like Hindus, Muslims, Parsis, Sikhs, and others in India. And unless all the communities are united, we shall continue to be weak and sickly. That is to say, we shall remain slaves. And even if we achieve independence, there will be no happiness in it. So this is again, 1947. He is really um, calling out people to really see the humanity of one another rather than fighting on the name of religion. And he you know, redefines religion for himself, even though he calls himself Sanatani Hindu, he has this very broad idea of what a Hindu is. So now here I want to really little talk about disease and uh, collective responsibility because of the COVID-19. 
And this is not from his, um, the Sarvodaya plan, but I just wanted to interweave that, but it is upliftment of all. So when 1905 and plague broke out in South Africa, Gandhi assumed leadership to fight the disease. In an article, Our Duty, he underscores how loss of some lives affects the entire community. So it's not like, like today, the news, 2000 people died in the United States today because of coronavirus. He says, this is our loss. This is everyone's loss, not out there. And he underscores how loss of some lives affects the entire community. It, it is quite obvious that when plague breaks out amongst us, it is clearly leads to loss of life more than it means to blow to the whole community. So think about individual versus the collective. That I am, if I am alive, that's not enough. Everyone should have good life and be alive. Then Gandhi, what instructions he gives? One should keep one's house scrupulously clean, right? Sanitation, every house or room should be well lighted and well ventilated. One should sleep with the windows open, the clothes worn by day as well those used during the night should be kept clean. The food uh, taken should be light and simple. Lavish dinners and feasts should be stopped. Right now, the, all the restaurants were shut down because again, you know, social distancing, so to speak. Lavatories and urinals should be kept clean. The floors and the other parts of the house should be washed clean um, and so on. No article from an infected place should be put somewhere else. How meticulously Gandhi is trying to tell us more than two persons should not sleep in a room of normal proportions. So again, social distancing. And today, again, the news was in, uh, in the New York Times article, why Japan has so less COVID cases because Japan was doing exactly what uh, Gandhi was telling us. And he took the responsibility of nursing uh, plague victims. And in his autobiography, he writes a chapter, Black Plague One. And in it, he says, it was a terrible night, that night of vigil and nursing. I had nursed a number of patients before, but never any attacked by the Black Plague. To give them their doses of medicine, to attend to their wants, to keep them and their beds clean and tidy, and to cheer them up was all that we had to do. So here you talk about Sarvodaya. He's, he's really dedicating his own life to helping others. Um, disease and isolation. He offered cautionary advice when the 1904 plague threatened the Natal area of South Africa. The slightest sickness, especially fever or pneumonia should be attended to without any delay, not waiting, right? I mean, we say why our response was so slow. If necessary, report to the authorities, there's perhaps too much laxity in dealing with such sickness. We should also ask them to completely isolate all such cases so that the risk of infection may be minimized. He was not a doctor, right? But he really nursed people in the um, different, he liked nursing. He really enjoyed uh, helping others. And you see his knowledge of, and he read a lot about health and hygiene wrote two books, Key to Health and Guide to Health, about natural cure, et cetera. And the village sanitation, of course, or because the water was not clean, uh, the sewer was not clean. He said, so long as enough attention is not paid towards sanitation of villages, the inhabitants will never have purity of heart and their condition. 
uh, will be symbolized by the garbage dumps on finds in the village. So he was quite upset about the um, filth and the garbage in those places and the municipalities were not helping. So difficult question of prohibition, but he was saying that intoxicants have impoverished us physically as well as economically. Ours is not a cold climate where drinking of alcohol may be necessary. So he's recognizing that in some countries you can drink alcohol, but not in India. But if you look at the alcohol use, I was just doing some research, um, the alcohol use with the COVID-19 last two years has gone up higher because people are bored, people are you know, coping with a um, lot of stress and all kinds of things. So it's quite interesting to see the juxtaposition. He was also very much into, as you know, diet control. Uh, what he says, most doctors admit that 99% of human beings eat more than it's needed. Indeed, this is fact of everyday experience and does not require to be proclaimed by any doctor. There's no fear at all of men ruining their health by eating too little. So you can eat too little, but not too much. And too great need is for a reduction of the quantity of food that we generally take. Sorry. Got somehow got it off. And again, um, this is a data, I think it's all over the world. I was just doing America. Americans are reverting to eating more comfort food, food since start of pandemic. So it's quite interesting that a lot of people are because of various mental stress and other things are eating more. So uh, the constructive program for Gandhi is nonviolent and truthful. What he says, civil disobedience instead of armed revolt, some concrete steps for the rights of laborers. And in concrete form, he says, labor should have its own union. So Gandhi was not against unions and he is supporting unions. Education, both general and scientific of both men and women should be regularly undertaken through night schools. Children of laborers should be educated after the basic education style. There should be a hospital, a creche and a maternity home attached to every center. Labor's strike, their right to strike if their demands are not fulfilled. In 1944, Gandhi says that. So as we know, Gandhi, for Gandhi, the moral of poverty was a very major um, goal. What he says, unless poverty and unemployment are wiped out from India, I would not agree that we have attained freedom. So that raises question for us. Again, I started with equality, freedom, and dignity of all. Are we free? Are we equal? Or do we have equality? Gandhi was making the moral appeal to the heart. Princes and capitalists must live as perfect friends with the whole mass of India as a real and legal trustees of the people for all the wealth they may possess. So live like trustees, give others, help others. Real socialism has been handed down to us by our ancestors who taught all land belongs to God. Where then is the boundary line? 
all land belongs to God. So what do I own? The fault is not in the teaching, it is in us. I have no doubt that we can make as good as an approach to it for any nation, not excluding Russia and that uh, without violence. So he's speaking with some Marxists and who are saying that um, the revolution Russia versus um, socialism in India. So Gandhi really um, asks um, his people and, and Congress people to do a lot of community service. I think I have um, civil disobedience, mass or individual is an aid to constructive effort and it is a full substitute for armed revolt. Training is necessary as well as civil disobedience as for armed revolt, only the ways are different. So he's comparing those two. And uh, Reverend James Lawson, who is my good friend and a very prominent civil rights leader in um, Southern California, he used training methods in 1950s and 60s to train African-Americans to fight segregation, racism, um, inequalities. So this can be experimented even today and has been. So what Gandhi's rejection of communist approach and embrace of moral methods. So what he says, we are showing a leaning toward Russian communism, which draws its strength from the pistol. That's the way of violence. Even there, it has not proved successful as yet. Instead, we propagate economic equality through nonviolent means as suggested by me. These capitalists will out of shame realize their extravagance this will actually foster a feeling of fraternity and serve the larger interest of the nation. Like I said, Gandhi's the moral ideas and many times that he was appealing to moral self and it didn't work and many times it doesn't work. But the ideas are, if we can uplift them and we can pay attention to them, then it's possible that they can because there are examples of change happening. So limited success of Sarvodhya, uh, some examples of moral transformation. The first one was Vyokam Satyagraha, fight against untouchability. Uh, second was women's participation in free India. Um, India remains pluralistic in religion, but communal challenges persist, as we know. And Bhutan movement, land gift of an Obabhavi that he went to these wealthy landowners and ask them to give, you know, seventh or sixth of their land, so then that can be given to poor. Gandhi's ideas, uh, the solution of the basic economic, economic problem of land collection and equitable redistribution. Contest between the ideologies of Gandhi and Marx, the um, Bhutan movement offers a revolutionary alternative to communism as it is founded on human dignity. So millions of acres were given to land when, when Vinoba Bhave was going village to village, asking people, rich landowners to give gift of land. So the movement attempted to persuade wealthy landowners to voluntarily give a percentage of their land to land, landless people he termed the movement Antyodaya, meaning uplift of the last. And he walked all over India on foot. 
So the critical challenges of Gandhi Sarvodaya are concrete manifestation of spiritual virtues, requires trust in human goodness, utilizes moral methods of civil disobedience and non-cooperation, voluntarily adherence to simplicity, moral leadership, challenges in sustaining volunteer-based movement, issues in curbing greed of the corporations and individuals, challenges in controlling violence against women and minorities simply on the basis of moral ideologies, and finally, challenges in limiting the flow of from villages to the cities. So these are on the left, that these are required on the right, that these are the challenges. There are moral methods, requires volunteer simplicity, moral leadership, um, moral methods, um, trust in human goodness. But on the right side, these are the challenges often we um, encounter even after Gandhi. So, you know, India is going through the, the clean India vision, um, but how I see Gandhi is simple of dedication to uplift of all. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Howard. <clears throat> what a rich presentation, uh, full of content and great design of the slides. I wish I could design such slides, oh my God. So much content, so much images and so on. And also uh, I need to correct one mistake. I forgot to read your bio before you talk. So I can correct my mistake now, if you permit. <clears throat> uh, professor Veena Howard is professor of Asian religious traditions in the Department of Philosophy at California State University, Fresno. She also holds the <clears throat> endowed chair in Jain and Hindu Dharma. Her publications include the books, the Bloomsbury Research Handbook of Indian Philosophy and Gender, 2019 Dharma, Hindu, Jain, Buddhist, and Sikh traditions of India, 2017. Gandhi's Ascetic Activism, Sunni Press 2013, so many, so many great books. She has also authored numerous peer-reviewed articles, including Oxford Bibliography article on Gandhi, 2019, Divine Light and Melodies Lead the Way, Santmat Tradition of Bihar, 2019, The Modern Monastic Santmat Movement of Bihar, 2017, uh, Lessons from uh, Mahabharat, 2016, Rethinking Gandhi, Celibacy, uh, 2013 in J J A R. That's awesome. She also translated tra translated three books from the modern Sant tradition from Hindi into English. She has served on the board of trustees of the Parliament of the World's Religions. <clears throat> so that I should have done before your talk, but at least I could do now. I uh, love to invite your questions. There are already a couple of questions. By one is by Professor Adi Natraju from Assam University, Silchar. And the question is, Professor. Looking at global trusteeship formula of Gandhi, he's in favor of considering entire wealth as belonging to the society. Would Gandhi have suggested a cap on the income? Your thoughts, please. This is an excellent question. And I was mentioning to you that I was 60 minutes yesterday and the Walt Disney, uh, who is one of the richest, uh, was one of the richest persons in the world. And his own granddaughter is saying there should be a cap on um, how much one can make. The, the, the billionaires have grown last two years when the world was suffering mm -hmm. due to the pande uh, pandemic. The billionaires added $5 trillion wealth, $5 trillion. This is yesterday's data, not uh, long ago. So 
even uh, the people are saying how much is enough. Okay, you can have a nice yachts, you can have planes, but even that will buy you less than billion dollars. <laughs> Why do we need 200 billion? Or So I think there has to be, and uh, again, the, the caption was shown when Jeff Bezos went to the space and he said, I want to thank my Amazon employees really for funding this trip, right? And so the idea was that he didn't even think about it, but it is the, uh, if everyone is paid well, what Gandhi is saying, then there won't be occasion for making, you know, 200 billion. There will be, you can have, there are certain, so I don't know about cap, how, what does that mean for the, and then there were alternative views that we have to have the capitalist system, even though it is not, you know, we create wealth, we create jobs and all kinds. So there is a, what Gandhi is doing, Professor um, Nataraju, as you know, he wants billionaires to have that kind of heart that you share with others. I mean, I think there are a few examples like uh, Jamnalal Bajaj and, and the Birlas and few, but he, what he's asking, rather than taking away because there's ingenuity, there's a risk, there's a hard work, he's asking people to rise above and see the whole world as a family. So when I have, that's what Bhavanova Bhavi was doing. How many sons do you have? He says five. He said, I'm your sixth son. Give me the sixth of your land. And if we think that way, so I think, again, we need um, this idea. Uh, then we feel empowered that I don't have five sons. I have uh, 200 employees. They're my 200 children. So how will I treat my 200 children if I have money? I'll give them a lot. I'll give them happiness. I'll give them all. So what he's trying to do, even though we may say the moral methods don't work, but Gandhi's ideas are worth noting, worth noticing, and creating narratives which empower both sides. Rather than when we write a check to government, it hurts because we don't know where the money is going. But when you write a check to charity, it feels good because you know you're helping this, this charity, you're helping the food, you're helping this. So I think what he's trying to say that have wealth is not a bad thing. The two things are how we make the wealth and what we do with that. And he is trying to create a society where everyone feels empowered, where everyone feels good about that. And, and his, the course that I read it really invokes the moral self, the moral methods. I, I hope to, that yeah. helped, Professor Anatraj. Yeah, I hope to, yeah. <clears throat> there was another question by Professor Suniti Badalkar, my colleague at Fame University. Uh, the question was, what motivated, fascinated you, Professor Howard, to select these subjects for your study? Long story, you have all night for me, all, all night for me a day. So I was not, I never thought about studying Gandhi. I was more studying a Sanskrit text. I was doing Shiva Sutra and um, I had a background in Indian philosophy from India. But then one of my professor, I was a master's student and asked me to co-teach a class on Gandhi. 
And I was the youngest of all class, uh, in that whole adult education class. And I said, okay, I don't know much about Gandhi, but he said, you know Sanskrit, you know Bhagavad Gita. I said, yes. And in that class, someone asked, um, why did Gandhi practice Brahmacharya? And they said, ask Veena. And I said, I don't know. And then I began to study. And then I didn't see any um, adequate literature. Either Gandhi was a suspect or Gandhi was uh, mocked or Gandhi was, um, you know, why did he maybe he didn't like his wife? Nobody has adequately understand, understood. So I went, I changed my research topic and I did uh, on Gandhi Pramcharya. And then I'm, I'm expanding my field. I'm just learning so much that I'm, I'm right now working on a book called Gandhi's Global Legacy that will be coming out in the middle of the year. Uh, and I'm writing extensive, extensive introduction for that and showing that how Gandhi's legacy is relevant today. And again, rising, raising not the old, but yes, about the nonviolent activism, but Sarvodaya. It's like how the ideas have so much, if we need to make it uh, vogue, these ideas, we need to put them out. We need to really show people. We need to um, share with others and package them in a way that um, people want to feel good. People want to feel happy. People want to, people feel good when they give. There's the studies show that when we give gifts, we feel good. So rather than taking away from them, demonize them, let's make them give gifts to everybody so that everybody can be. So I think it's changing the model and the paradigm. Mm. Uh, I think the next question is from your student, uh, Carolyn Hardy. How can we act according to Gandhi's program in our daily lives? I'm a student, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts for the average person. Excellent point. Gandhi's program is for average person. That's the whole point. It's not for any, um, you know, it's it, the, the beauty of this program is that anybody and everybody, if it doesn't have to be a huge endeavor, it can be a very, very small acts of kindness, compassion, nonviolence. And we will talk about it, um, Carol, uh, Carolyn, we, our class has just started today, so I don't know the names yet. Um, so yes, we'll, we'll discuss that. And we are reading Gandhi in two of my classes. Um, so yes, it is really the grassroots level. The Gandhi's programs were successful because of the average person, because of the common person, because of the villager, because of the, not because they were coming from the universities or some political parties, because of that. And every nonviolent movement, any successful movements are uh, using your phrase, average person. So I think the problem happens when we have put Gandhi on the pedestal. Oh, he's Mahatma Gandhi. How can we be like that? Right? I mean, that's the, we need to bring that up, out and just say, you know what? Look at his life. He was very normal, um, ordinary person in his childhood, what he talks about it was ordinary. He calls himself very shy. He's scared of the dark. He's scared of public speaking, right? So he is showing us that what an average person can do. I didn't know that he was scared of dark. That was really interesting. Yeah, he was scared of dark. He was so scared oh. of dark. He, public speaking, he will first time when he started public speaking, he picked up mm. his piece of uh, paper. He couldn't even read it. He was a lawyer. Oh, wow. He sat down. <laughs> right, right. 
So, but where he, he right, he, he came so far. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, next question is also from my, one of my colleagues here at Flame, Professor Amit Anurag. Question is, Professor Howard, the Hindu idea of liberation is largely individualistic, but for Gandhi, who is a devout Hindu, liberation is always collective. How will Gandhi reconcile his Hindu beliefs with his idea of liberation? Oh my God, Professor Anurag, you're a million dollar uh, question. And you should read my book, Gandhi's Ascetic Activism. So if we are, uh, you're absolutely right, it's the individual uh, liberation, right? Suraj and, and uh, Moksha. Uh, but for Gandhi is the Atman is interconnected with everyone. My Atman is interconnected with you and you and you. If I am doing well, you are doing well. If you're not doing well, I'm not doing So he, he takes the idea of the Hindu idea of liberation, individual, individualistic liberation, to spins it in a way that it becomes a collective service through service, through karma yoga, through helping others, through devotion to the all beings. So he does not go, he doesn't transcend the Hindu tradition. I, I, nobody has asked me this question for a while. So Actually, uh, maybe he took some ideas from Buddhism, Bodhisattva idea that he probably must. He, he never talks about the word Bodhisattva. Okay. But okay. he all his literature, Bhagavad Gita, yes, mm -hmm. he's reading all, he's getting ideas, but he tries to justify within Hinduism. In a Katha um, Isha Upanishad, he says that by sacrificing, by helping others, by giving. So he's very selective. He takes those verses, those instances, and he makes it in a way that if I am getting, if I search for liberation, is through the service of others. Mm -hmm. If you have same divine Brahman or Atman, mm -hmm. if I serve you and see God in you, then mm -hmm. I am myself. Yeah. So it's very, very fascinating how he connects Suraj with personal liberation and political freedom mm -hmm. and the service of the society. So he's, you're right, I think, um, Dr. Anurag, that he's um, very creative, but he's not the only one. Swami Vivekananda was doing the mm -hmm. same thing. Yeah. He said, you see God in the millions of downtrodden. So there was a 20th century, 1920th century, a movement from Nivrati, which is withdrawal and personal liberation, to the helping and the service of the collective. All right, next is by Professor Smita Srinivas in Bangalore. Thank you for the talk. Do we struggle to understand Gandhi because he's such an icon personality? For example, Gandhi versus Marx, Gandhi versus Nehru, Gandhi and MLK, Gandhi versus Patel, etc. After all, his philosophy is dharmic and very familiar to most Indic traditions and any nationalist really. For the struggle that this was not fully conveyed as much as, as such as rooted in the land and its own traditions, thus honing existing practices as opposed to adding new personality-driven ones. His Bhagavad Gita writing recognizes this well. His economic ideas perhaps less rooted or too censorious. What are your thoughts? It's a lot, lot of... Yeah, I... Which one should I ask? Um, um, Dr. Srinivas, um, can you just give me one line out of all this very interesting writing? We can stay back and talk if you like. Um, 
what are you what do you want me to address out of this very complex question so his bhagavad gita writing addresses this mm. addresses what i think his economic ideas are not okay let's see what the dharmic roots of indian thought doesn't translate well to his economic work ah okay thank you so why why do you think it does not uh translate into economic work dharmic roots of it dharma is a sacred duty dharma is the right obligation dharma is to uh service of others dharma is um so you're talking about the four dharmas dharmartha kama moksha or dharma as a as a as the broader principle of serving others the dharma to me when i study dharma traditions dharma means that that which sustains that which upholds so my point will be any economic system that is sustainable is dharma any economic system that is non exploiting is dharma any system where it takes care of all people equally is dharma so that's how i will define so i think it is very rooted in the dharmic tradition according to me but i think we can even maybe i didn't understand your question professor shashi motilal actually has a comment uh, she's from delhi university probably you also know her uh, in my opinion she's saying in my opinion we find it hard to accept gandhian thoughts because we tend to rationalize more and have less reliance on faith and trust yeah comment. and i think there is kind of trust what i said uh, just showed in my slide that the human trust in human goodness trust and mm-hmm. i think there is a kind of you're absolutely right there has to be some kind of um and you i mean i i know what you're trying to say that it is very difficult for us human to be what he's trying us to be mm-hmm. trying us to act because we suddenly mm-hmm. the differences of categories of religion and mm. and people and oh he's going to cheat me or he's going to do this to me and now he's going to take more from me and mm. we are can we be gandhi like uh, rooted in dharma so yes i can understand so mm. that is the problem i mean i agree that's the problem but not the problem that according to gandhi we can all solve that problem by Uh, adhering to the tr- more trusting more kind more compassionate more caring environment so mm-hmm. i was today in my class i did a little exercise as what two values do you hold um valuable in your life just to students and most of them said honesty integrity honesty integrity mm-hmm. honor respect I mean here we are in the United States I said it's not the virtues that are only for any one culture we all want to be that so I think you're right that we need to make this leap to the moral compass instead of of distrust and uh what you call the mm-hmm. word rationalization or suspicion mm-hmm. next is I think by also by two actually from your students our uh, by Maria Maria Cushing Cushing Thanks, Dr. Howard. Can you share how or if Gandhi was influenced by colonization, or colonization impacted his own horizon? 
Um, Mariah, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, good to see you. I can't see you, but thank you for being here. She is also um, doing her PhD from oh. uh, UK. Um, yes, Gandhi was really formed by colonization. Gandhi mm -hmm. was born in the colonial era. He really was thinking through what not to do. First, he does it. He becomes, he acts like an English man. He dances, he sings, he speaks English. He learns Latin lessons. He wants to fit in, you know? Then he learns the inadequacies of the European material culture. So you are, that's a great question. Colonization, that's why I use the word decolonization in my um, presentation. We are in a democratic society, but we are not decolonized. We are colonized. Our minds are still with the colonized systems. We don't have our own indigenous value systems. I'm doing whatever the, um, our university system will do, our agriculture system will do, or this. Am I free to do things? Am I able to use my, you know, can I have a cow in my yard? I can, can I have a goat in my yard? Can I have, you know, uh, all can grow my own? It's just so much regulated, right? So you're absolutely right that his horizon is shaped by colonization and colonial uh, ideologies and frameworks, and he decides to reject them. He decides not only to reject them, go after them. So what he does, he gets rid of his pantsuit and collar. He wears a peasant's, Indian peasant's clothes. He sleeps on very simple, he calls it ashrams, his communes. He uses nonviolent methods instead of weaponry. He rejects all kinds of Western ways of education. So he goes after it. So that is a very good question. You should write it down and we should talk more later about that as very well. Very nice, wonderful. Great question and great, great answer. Uh, also next by our student, I think Elise, uh, as viewed across many cultures and societies, we are faced with many instances of both social and political activism. Historically, we have seen that civil disobe disobedience and nonviolent protests have been met with devastating force, specifically in America. What, in your opinion, would Gandhi's advice be to those that are affected by this forceful response of those in power, considering his dedication to uplifting all? Long question, but Excellent question, Ali. Um, appreciate that. That's, uh, Elise, that's a very nice question. And I think about as well. So first I want to answer it that historically all movements have civil disobedience, nonviolent movements have met with devastating force throughout the history. You're in my class, um, you are going to be watching some uh, documentaries. Let it be civil rights movement of the 1560s of African-American fighting for let it be the Mexican farmers movement in America, let it be Indian British movement, uh, the Gandhi's movement. Every movement was met with uh, violent force. But the difference is that when we have media on our side now, more than ever, um, the goal was that we require training. All these um, movements, and we can talk about later more, they really trained people how to strategize their nonviolent protests. Now what happens? People show up without preparation. 
and they just go Facebook, we're going to protest there, show up. And everybody shows up, you know, you know, they have evening uh, work to do or next day you have to go to school or something in the show. No, these people were who were the real successful movements. They went through serious training, serious taking time off of work, serious planning what happens if you get hit by police. So what is um, missing is not the response has changed, is the strategic training and planning is lacking. We think the nonviolent protest is show up. No. And I will share with you a video a documentary called A Force More Powerful. In it, uh, Reverend James Lawson, who is a civil rights leader, how he trained people for months before he went, they went for protesting. So when they were hitting, so they were how to call the, you know, the ambulance and how to take care of how to make a call, how to do when somebody goes to jail and how to bring 20 more people for protests. So they were all strategized, just like military training. But nonviolent protests, we think that it doesn't require training. And that's a mistake. It's a great answer. Yeah, that's really insightful. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just amazed you call Dr. Dawson your friend. That's He's an icon. He's an icon of civil rights movement. He's still with us, thankfully. Isn't he yeah, also came to Saturday. India? I was yeah. on Saturday with him uh, on his yeah. workshop. He oh, calls wow. me colleague. I just always say, <laughs> no, you're my mentor. <laughs> no, I came to India also. He, he also yes. came to India, right? Mm -hmm. 1955, 1953 to 55, right. he was in India. Yeah, yeah I did a little bit of research on Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> that's great. You are in touch with the you know icons of civil rights movement. That's, he was a yeah, colleague of Dr. King, right? Dr. Martin Luther King. Yes. He was a almost teacher of Reverend uh, Dr. King. He oh, was. Wow. He taught him, he called him the foremost strategist of nonviolent direct action, King, wow. in his last speech. So wow. King okay. brought him to the South. And uh, I wrote yes. an article on him, Love in Action. Oh. And, and also now I'm co-writing an, an article with him. I invited okay. him to Fresno State twice, uh, and I will oh, be invited. Okay. Wow. So. Wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Please keep spreading Gandhian wisdom and <laughs> please keep teaching about Gandhi. And uh, we all need Gandhi's wisdom through some me medium such as yours. And so it's wonderful to remind, get reminded of all this wisdom. And right, it's really, really needed for today. Uh, we don't see any more questions. And uh, uh, I can only thank you. And, and I cannot thank you enough for, for sharing your time and, and your research. And uh, hope we'll meet again in at some other similar forum. And uh, yes, yes. Learn more. And about Gandhi yeah. from you. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm just learning. Thank you so much for all of you for coming and staying in um, late. And I see uh, Dr. Patel there, who's a friend of mine. She's in uh, Bakersfield. There's some familiar names. Oh I sent yeah. it to my students and I sent a few people. So they showed up. Yeah, also, yes. also, the recording will be available on Flame University's YouTube channel. We have a channel called Index Studies on which uh, the recording will be available. So you're welcome to share widely as wherever you want to share. Yes. Thank you again, Professor Howard. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Dr. Jain. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.